0: It's nodding at him. Just Get box Shot. He got it. One. Just like that, ladies and gentlemen, history is made. We now have our fourth AEW World Champion. The company's inception, 2019. The first champ, Jericho, Chris Jericho. Uh, Then it would be Jon Moxley as champ, Kenny Omega as champ, and now Hangman. Adam Page, your fourth world champion. What a prestigious title, man. In two years, only four champions. That is the mark of a prestigious championship. You know, they're not they're not playing hot potato with the title belt. You know, they're not hot shotting the title belt. I, I, if this was like TNA Impact <laughs> from back in the day, th- there would have been like 15 different champs already. <laughs> what a show, man. This, this card really took the wind out my sails. There was no breathers. there was no bathroom break matches there was no concession stand matches which to some people that's a good thing but in my personal opinion i feel like every wrestling pay-per-view you know there's no there's no half times right in wrestling there there's no half times there's there's little there's little leg room you know so i feel like for an example at all out and it's funny because the Big Show Q T Marshall match was heavily uh, clowned on, right? I don't want to say criticized because nobody expected that to be a good match anyway. But that match was kind of clowned on. That match was a strategic match. That match gave you the opportunity to go to the bathroom, or go fi- fix you a plate of food, get you, you know, uh, do what you got to do, get another beer. But this card here, full gear, it had no opportunity seemingly for you know for some breathers i mean well well wait a minute with that said uh i'm being kind of contradictory here but there was a few matches that i could have done without on this card um but that's not to say that i wasn't interested in the matches but rather they were just matches much more suitable for an episode of dynamite when you have such a stacked card like this um I mean, we're talking about 10 matches, 10 freaking matches. This is a WrestleMania right here, <laughs> basically, you know. Um, so before I get into the full gear review and break it down, I want to start off with some news pieces here. Excuse me. So Kenny Omega wrestled that amazing main event match against Adam Page with an injured shoulder. According to Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer, Kenny Omega has stated that he can't lift more than 45 pounds right now at the gym. And he's been wrestling this way for quite some time now, postponing surgery and his well-being to be the ultimate workhorse for AEW. Now, what's more, in a new video where Kenny is undergoing a chiropractic adjustment by Dr. Bew Hightower, he reveals that he has had to train himself To wrestle in a spinning ring due to bouts of vertical that he's been facing since 2018. My goodness. Kenny Omega, you cannot deny at this point that Kenny Omega is the best wrestler in the world right now. And it's not even close, you know, and and he was actually ranked by PWI. Uh, best wrestler in the world today and pwi 500 um a lot of people argued it should be roman it should be uh, uh i don't know one of the japanese cats but no kenny omega and i'm not just talking about his performances in the ring but his dedication and his work rate look at how many matches this guy has had in the past two years going to mexico and defending the AAA title while he's AEW champion. After having a crazy bout on AEW prior uh, on Dynamite. He goes to Mexico and wrestles um Andrade in that big main event. I mean, this guy is incredible, man. I've never seen something like this. You know, I, I, I used to um, watch WWE religiously. And I remember back in the day, John Cena was heavily... Uh, criticized and booed and hated Um, and I always respected John because I always seen him perhaps not as the best wrestler but he was a hell of a worker who had amazing dedication to his craft and what he's doing and doing all the signings and the make-a-wishes and all the wrestling and I mean you can't fault a guy who might not be the best at what he does but he gives it his all you know what i mean but when you're talking about kenny omega you're talking about a guy who is giving his all like a john cena back in the day but is also performing to a how you could watch matches like this with Adam Page. And to find out that he wrestled that match with an injured shoulder, guys. I tell you, sometimes when I wake up and, and I have my shoulders like sore or something, I can't do shit. <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now. Never mind working out. Um, my performance at my job will suffer. I, I just, I'm terrible. Just waking up with a sore shoulder. And that's not even an injury. That's just... Being old, you know, I'm getting old. Sometimes I wake up on the wrong side of the bed and I have a a sore shoulder. I actually woke up with a sore leg today. Uh, But anyway, that's, that's the trials of getting old, right? But Kenny Omega wrestled this match with an injured shoulder. And I don't know if anybody listening has ever suffered any kind of shoulder injury or shoulder pain. I have like I just said and it's no joke. You can't really do much when your shoulder hurts. It's hard to be mobile and perform any physical activities you know when your shoulder is not up to par. Um, And look at the match that he put on with Adam Page. Passing the torch to this guy and a story that culminates after two years, culminates after two years in the making. We're going to get to it later on. Hangman Adam Page declares November 17th to be National Cowboy Shit Day uh, in some lighthearted news here. Adam Page has... Made his first decrees as new champion via a press release statement. I'm not going to go through the whole statement, but you guys should definitely check it out for a good laugh. Just Google search Hangman page, uh, press release statement. Eddie Kingston reportedly misses a convention due to shoulder injuries suffered at AEW Full Gear. Here we go again with the damn shoulder injuries. I'm trying to tell you, them shoulder injuries ain't no joke. And freaking Kenny Omega out here putting on five-star classics with a shoulder injury. Um, Kingston was scheduled to appear at the big event New York Convention via Northeast Wrestling on Sunday, November 14th. But the promotion announced that Kingston contacted them and had to miss the appearance due to a shoulder injury suffered at AEW Full Gear against CM Punk. Mike Johnson at PW Insider reports there was no specific injury occurring from the actual match, but that it it was more of a case of Kingston being banged up from accumulation of different issues. According to PW Insider, Malachi Black also missed the big event New York due to injury as well, but no further update was given on the part of malachi black of course black teamed with andrade el idolo in a loss to cody rhodes and pack at aew full gear it remains to be seen if that injury happened in that match or if it's another case of uh similarity to eddie kingston where it's just accumulation of of being banged up you know being a workhorse and uh in a hot pro wrestling company like aew it happens But in an update, Eddie Kingston tweeted this morning that his shoulders are fine and he will miss no time at work. Nothing. Uh, He notes that he will be present at Northeast Wrestling on November 20th. That's that that warrior workhorse spirit, man. Like Kenny Omega. You know Eddie Kingston is sacrificing right here, man. You know that his shoulder is in pain as well shoulder, you know, when your shoulder is sore or injured, like when it comes to your shoulder and your neck, those are the the body parts that are kind of overlooked, especially on the part of the shoulders. You don't want those ever to be sore or in any kind of pain. You cannot do shit. I'm telling you guys right now, Um, especially your neck, uh, your shoulders as well. So... I'm just going to show you, man, these guys, guys like Eddie Kingston, guys like Kenny Omega, they put in that extra effort. They go the extra mile for your entertainment. And you have to respect it. WWE and G4 TV for Gamers are set to partner up for a new video game competition series in 2022. Xavier Woods is set to be the host. King Xavier Woods will be at the forefront of the G4 Network relaunching next year. Actually, the, the the competition is next year. G4 Network is relaunching this year. In fact, it's relaunching today, I believe. Uh, Woods will host the Catastrophic Launch Spectacular tomorrow on Tuesday. Um, The show will feature first looks at Attack of the Show, X-Play, Boosted, Dungeons & Dragons Presents, Invitation to Party, and more. Now, for those of you who might be interested in watching the G4 network relaunch like I am, as of right now at launch, G4 will debut linearly on the channel lineups of Comcast, Xfinity TV, Verizon Fios, Cox Communications, and internet streaming service Philo. Is it Philo or Philo? I don't know. Uh, G4 is returning after eight years of its initial demise. Man, this is this is really awesome news to me because I go way back when G4 launched in 2002. I was so into that back in the day. I'll never I I come on, man. I used to love Judgment Day um, with Tommy Tellerico and that one dude. His name escapes me right now. Um, Judgment Day. They had Filter with Diane Mizota. Blister. Um, they, what was the other shows they had? Um, they would air like old school arcade shows from like the 70s. Um, just it was an awesome, awesome TV channel back in the day. I loved it so much as a kid. Then like in 2004, G4 merged with Tech TV. Um, which I thought was terrible because they really kind of swept all the OG G4 shows and started to bring in, you know, X-Play and uh, Attack of the Show, And which I get it. Those, those shows right there have humongous audiences with tech TV fans, but I loved the old school G4, man. The pre tech TV merger, um, G4, it was awesome. Like I said, I I used to spend hours watching programming on that show, and there would be reruns too. I would watch all the reruns. Um, I was a big nerd, like my when I got my PlayStation 2, I was just like all super into that stuff. So, yeah, and it's really interesting as well to see Xavier Woods being at the forefront of this launch, given the recent controversies, of course. The Up Up Down Down YouTube channel, uh, which Xavier Wood seemingly started from the ground up. It, I thought it was his personal channel, um, and I believe it was, but WWE bought it off of him, which was a smart buy because it has over 2 million subscribers and counting. Very popular. They've put out some great content. And recently, they seem to be on strike, not releasing any content as per the content creators stating that. Xavier Woods is at the wrong end of a bad deal apparently with WWE supposedly he's not being paid for his G4 duties uh, that his up up down down and G4 TV hosting duties are part of the WWE contractual downside guarantee which is absolutely petty on wwe's part um i mean i i'm pretty sure xavier woods is very well paid in wwe i understand that and i respect that but when it comes to his youtube channel that they purchased they, they should allow him to still make the monetization uh the money off of the monetization of that channel and most especially his g4 hosting duties g4 has nothing to do with wwe Uh, I know they're partnering for that that video game competition coming out in 2022, which, incidentally, that's very interesting. I'm wondering if that's going to coincide with the release of WWE 2K22, the wrestling game, which, Jesus Christ, please, hopefully it's a good game this time and not a debacle that was... um, wwe 2k20 i I, i'm pretty sure that game is what started covid bro (laughs) that's how terrible that game was uh but anyway um needless to say i'm very excited for g4's launch it's relaunch i don't have any of those services i currently have sling blue um so that's unfortunate uh but it is what it is in the future hopefully i'll be able to (laughs) to binge watch g4 again like a big nerd all right, guys, now I'm a nerd out now because we're going to get into the full gear pay-per-view. The buy-in is what kicked it off with Jamie Hayter and Nyla Rose taking on Hikaru Shida and Thunder Rosa. Now, this was basically just promotion for the TBS title quarterfinals, uh, TBS title tournament quarterfinals, as Nyla Rose is slated to take on Hikaru Shida, while Jamie Hayter is slated to take on Thunder Rosa. With that said, there was no implications for this matchup. It was just an exhibition. Um it didn't really matter. Sheeta and Rosa would capture the uh the W. And um well that was <laughs> I was I was uh wrong on this prediction. I had picked Nyla and um <clears throat> Nyla and hater to win because I just felt like they needed the win more. Uh, nonetheless Serena Deeb um did cause some shenanigans at ringside. She was like in the crowd or something. So I guess uh, Serena Deeb is continuing her little feud with Hikaru Shida. Which is good. This is what the women's division needs. And I know that Serena Deeb is a very good hand in the ring. Darby Allen versus MJF. You want to talk about show-stealing matches. Welcome to the opening match. Easily the second best match of the night. These guys truly exceeded my expectations. I mean, really. Um, the only spots I want to go over, uh, for one, that sick power bomb into a one-need backbreaker by MJF. I don't think I've ever seen that move before. Um, I've seen a bunch of back rip, you know, tilt-a-world backbreakers and and the like, but I've never seen a power bomb into a backbreaker before. That was sick, and I really hope that. Um, he uses that as a a frequent signature move that he does. This was the coming out party for MJF right here, guys. You know, I always believed in MJF's promo work because how could you not? I mean, the guy is second to none in promos right now in the wrestling business by far. But he never quite impressed me in the ring up to this point. I gotta be honest, you know. um, He never impressed me in the ring before. But I'm a full-blown believer in the main eventer that is MJF. To me, this is the match right here that elevates MJF into a bona fide main eventer. He's ready. He is ready, guys. And dare I say it, this is the guy who should take the title off of Adam Page in the not-too-distant future. Yo oh my God. Can you imagine the nuclear heat MJF will get if he's the guy that takes the title off of Adam Page? My goodness. You're talking about 2003 Triple H right here, man. You know, just absolute nuclear heat. Um, Darby allen he flies out the ring like a freaking bullet with them lightning speed suicide dives. I still think Ray Phoenix has the best uh suicide dive in the business or tope suicida if you want to call it that uh, but Darby is definitely he's up to par with Phoenix with, the, with those dives man unbelievable concussion city nailing MJF like a hunter in the woods shooting a deer down with the precision MJF would regain control and hit a tombstone pile driver on the freaking ring apron that was the first of many holy shit moments of the night and in the end, MJF would defeat Darby Allin by nailing him with his dynamite diamond ring and then using a headlock takeover into a small package to defeat Darby Allin. As he lived up to his promise that he would defeat Darby with a freaking headlock takeover. I'd take a shot of tequila every time I say freaking because this show was freaking good. MJF is solidified, man. Um, like I said, Darby has quickly proven as well that he's an absolute wonderful worker who can make anybody look like a million bucks. I have not seen one bad Darby Allen match. Um, even even back in the day when they did that, that what was that, Cracker Barrel match <laughs> or something like that? Bunkhouse match? Bunkhouse Cracker Barrel match. Some kind of promotional deal there where they had like a Cracker Barrel barrel in the ring, I believe, Wherein I don't know if it was Cody Rhodes that Darby was wrestling. I don't remember who, Um, but as silly as that matchup looked, um, it felt like a spectacular match because Darby is spectacular. So, where does MJF go from here? Where does Darby go from here? That's the real question I want asked. I want answered. Um, certainly, like I said, if MJF is the guy to dethrone Adam Page, that that's a story that writes itself. You have the biggest villain, arguably, in the whole business, let alone in AEW. You have arguably the biggest supervillain in the entire world of wrestling right now with MJF. I mean, the guy is... He's so distasteful, he's so unlikable, and his promos just nail it on point. You love to hate this guy. Um, I I don't think there is ever, at any moment in time, uh, a period where MJF could turn babyface ever again. Because some of the promos that he's cut and the things that he's done has really, truly turned him into a -a one-of-a-kind, despicable bad guy. So it's going to be interesting from here on out to see which paths these two gentlemen go down into. Lucha Bros defend the AEW tag straps to FTR. And I got to say, after that freaking barn burner in the opening, it was very difficult to be fully invested in this match. I mean, directly after what we just witnessed. This segment should have been a cool down segment. Perhaps the Cody Pack versus Andrade Malakai Black match should have been in this segment instead of instead of the Lucha Bros, you know? In my opinion, this is not a good placement for this match. Um it, it judging by the crowd, they have the same opinion. You know, it became overwhelming to go from that MJF derby classic to the Lucha Bros tag title match. And it was a fantastic match of course. Don't get me wrong, Lucha Bros had a they had a very interesting entrance, a very Call of Duty like ground zero type of deal. Um, I actually tweeted, is, is Call of Duty Vanguard sponsoring the Lucha Bros? <laughs> So it's a chore, you know, to go over Lucha Bros matches because you just can't keep up with these guys. So many innovative and spectacular spots. All I'm going to say is this was a very classic clash of styles. You have Lucha Bros who, as I said, are the spectacular high flyers. Quite possibly the very best high flying luchador in the business currently on the part of Ray Phoenix. And you have FTR. They're the classic, old-school, grizzled veteran-type tag wrestlers who break their opponents down methodically and with precision. In the end, the Lucha Bros win the bout by pinning, uh, I believe it was Wheeler, who was donning the Super Rana <laughs> Lucha mask, which was funny. It, 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 I guess it would appear that this feud is going to continue because I don't believe that he was the legal man, So basically, the Lucha Bros didn't actually win the match. I mean, officially in the record books, right? They won the match. But technically, they pinned a guy who was not the legal man in the ring. Um, and I guess that's a good avenue to go down under because, hey, AEW has always been criticized for how they handle tag team matches. Tag team matches are kind of always broken down. And you can never tell who's the legal man in AEW tag matches because the tag rules are not enforced as strictly as they should be. So perhaps this this little angle here could explore that as a storyline. You know, I mean, perhaps... Um, they could work something where they say, "Hey, you know what? It's time to take a stand." Tony Khan or somebody says it's time to take a stand, and we gotta enforce our tag team rules here. We can't allow big pay per view matches to have shenanigans like that, you know, with the the wrong man being pinned. So, I don't know. I, I guess once again, I guess they're gonna continue Lucha Bros and FTR as a tag team feud. Brian Danielson versus miro in the aew championship eliminator final this is the match that kind of took the wind out my sails guys i I gotta be honest you know i really wanted miro to win this and i believe he was the correct guy to win this to be honest but it was naive of me to think that brian would lose his first pay-per-view appearance i mean come on you know brian danielson along with cm punk they are the company's biggest attractions And it ain't close. It ain't no debate. They are the biggest attractions for AEW. Um, But man, Miro is just on fire right now. And honestly, after this, I can't really take Miro seriously anymore. I mean, at least, let's just say I'm not going to be as invested now. This was like seeing your favorite NBA team get eliminated from the playoffs, right? So it's just like, well... On to next season, you know. I'll, I'll start watching them again if they <laughs> they make the playoffs again. I don't know. It's one of those deals, man. It's it's uh, you know, Miro's Jets have been cooled off, if you will. You know, in my eyes, for better or for worse, you know. But I I feel like I still I still stick to my guns. You know, I still stick to my guns. I think it would have made much more sense for Miro to have won this and thus feuded with Adam Page for the strap and Adam Page he's he's going to feud with his toughest opponent yet cuz Miro should be built up in that fashion to be the toughest opponent for a babyface title holder it just it writes itself it's academic <laughs> it's elementary <laughs> you know what i'm saying so Brian Danielson wins and what he's going to feud with with uh, Kenny Omega and I, is he going to go heel uh, excuse me, Adam Page. I said Kenny Omega. Adam Page. Is Adam Page going to go heel? Is Brian going to go heel? Are they going to have that cliched, you know, baby face, baby face handshake and, and go by the rules? And I don't want to see that, man. I mean, and it's just me. I know it's an unpopular opinion. I get it. I get it. I'm sure there's a lot of other fans out there who are like, fuck yeah, give me Brian Danielson and Adam Page. Are you kidding me? But. I'm just really high on Miro, bro. Like, Miro is firing on all freaking cylinders right now. The promo work that he's doing, it's been second to none in his entire career. Not just AEW. I'm talking about his WWE run as well. When he was on fire, back when Lana escorted him to the ring on a freaking tank for his bout with John Cena, which unfortunately led (laughs) led to his burial then on after. But... Yeah man. Um The match, the the story of the match, uh, it was the classic David versus Goliath type of affair. As Miro, the much stronger, bigger guy, was out muscling the smaller, quicker, and more ring savvy Brian. Ultimately, Brian Danielson would win the bout via submission using a guillotine choke off of a big DDT. Where is Lana? Where is CJ Perry? Miro's real-life wife. You know, at All Out, I thought she was going to debut. It didn't happen. At Full Gear, I thought perhaps she would debut and and perhaps cost Danielson the match in that respect by way of distraction or some kind of shenanigans. She doesn't debut. He's been cutting promos now, like, the last several months, referencing his wife, his wife below, his God above and his wife below, right? And all this stuff, his real-life wife, Lana, CJ Perry. She's an excellent valet. I, I never took her seriously as a wrestler, but by my goodness, I'm going to tell you right now, as a, as a manager, as a valet, she is excellent in that role. Second to none. I'm going to tell you right now, um, as far as valets go, second to none. And she, is a, she makes Miro a total package. And I don't know where she's at. I don't know what they're doing. They're really, like, hesitating to pull the trigger. It's the right time now. Um, I don't know what they're doing with Miro, man. But like I said, I'm just going to reiterate that I I truly believe Miro was the right guy, should have been the guy to take this matchup. But nonetheless, hey, Brian Danielson is now next in line for that AEW title shot. And I'm sure he and Adam Page will create magic and we'll see how they go about that. There's a lot of avenues they can go down. Of course, um, MJF, he seemed to hint that he's he's on his way for the title now. He's a, he's going to go after it now. So that's going to make things interesting. You know, we got MJF in the wings. Well, we still have, I mean, CM Punk and Eddie Kingston. We'll get to them later. They I, They still seem to have something going on, judging by the ending of their match. Again, I'll get to that later. But... There's a lot of things that could happen from here on out. I mean, just because Brian Danielson is the number one contender, I can't see him facing Adam Page for the title on an episode of Dynamite. You feel me? (laughs) It'll have to be at least the next pay-per-view revolution, I believe. Is it revolution or double or nothing that's coming up next? One of those two pay-per-views. And... That's where that that match should happen if it's to happen. So in between that time, there is a lot of things that that can develop. So I'm just gonna, you know, it is what it is. The Jurassic Express and Christian Cage take on the Super Click. I gotta be honest, guys. Uh, I really didn't care about this match at all. This was the Minneapolis Street Fight, by the way. I believe in my predictions. I had, <laughs> I had uh, mistakenly said that the Inner Circle and, uh, well, Inner Circle versus the America's Top Team and Men of the Year match, that was the Minneapolis Street Fight. This one, I labeled the Minneapolis Street Fight. I was incorrect. Nonetheless, again, Miro losing kind of took the wind out of my sails, and I really didn't care about this match even before that, <laughs> so... Um, I'm going to cut right to the chase here. Jurassic Express, much to my surprise, they pick up the pinfall victory over the Super Click. So yes, the great Adam Cole baby takes an now on his very first AEW pay-per-view appearance. Now, granted, uh, he wasn't the one who ate the pin, of course, but nonetheless, not a very eventful start for the Super Click, especially considering what happened in the main event, which we'll get to later. Uh, To me, it it would have made more sense for the super click to win while Kenny loses. It writes itself, you know, Kenny being kicked out of the group as Adam Cole becomes the new head honcho of the elite. But alas, we'll have to wait and see what TK has up his sleeves. You know, this pay-per-view was very Eddie Guerrero tribute heavy. I don't think I mentioned that. I should have mentioned that at the beginning. Um, but it appeared to me that the Super Click, they were, <laughs> they were paying tribute to the Heart, Heart Foundation here with all that pink they were wearing. Uh, certainly with the Owen Hart Cup coming up, that's somewhat apropos. Um, I do want to mention really quickly, Eddie Guerrero, incidentally, he died on that night in 2005, November 13th. And it was in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So what a strange timing there right you know in minneapolis minnesota all those years ago in 2005 eddie guerrero would die uh he would be found by his nephew chavo in that hotel room and all these years later aew full gear holding a pay-per-view in minneapolis and everybody of course pays their respects pays their tribute to the great uh eddie guerrero so That was a beautiful thing to witness, I gotta say. Definitely added to the feeling of the pay-per-view and the epicness of it, you know? Cody Rhodes and Pac take on Malachi Black and Andrade El Idolo. This is one of the matches on the card that undoubtedly should have been a main event on an episode of Dynamite instead of on the undercard of a pay-per-view, in my opinion. Um... And Cody Rhodes, my goodness, you want to talk about go-away heat? That's what it sounded like as far as the booze reigning supreme every time Cody so much as blinked his freaking eyes. Crazy stuff here. And, and you know, it appeared to bother Cody. Now, I don't know if this is just more storytelling on his part playing into his pending heel turn or if, if he was legitimately being bothered by the booze and stuff. It looked like it was... Legitimately affecting him. Like he went out the ring and started, you know, posing for the crowd more and stuff. Very good stuff either way, whether it was legitimate uh, contentment on Cody's part to hear himself being booed or if he's building, continuing his character development into that heel turn that we all desperately want to see. And quite frankly, he desperately, uh, needs to turn heel at this point. Um, very good stuff either way. And much to my surprise, pack the bastard pack would be the guy to nab the pinfall victory over El Idolo. But really, uh, The real story here is once again, Cody Rhodes and his continued character development or not character development, whatever that was. I'm really beginning to question now whether he's on the verge of turning heel or not. I'd have thought it would have happened on on this show. He could have turned on Pac. Um, I don't know. Who knows when it will happen? That's another one of those things. Like, when the hell are they going to pull the trigger on this? You know, AEW, they take their sweet time. They're all about that long-term booking and, you know, they're very meticulous with how they build into their angles and storylines. They don't rush things and they like to let things simmer, you know, and play out over the long haul. And that's so beautiful and so refreshing when you're used to WWE's cabbage where they just... They'll they'll start up storylines so quickly and then they'll drop them just like that. Just as quickly as they started something, they'll just drop it <laughs> without, without any explanation being given. Just inexplicably, just drop, you know. Or look at Retribution and the hacker storyline. What the hell ever happened with that? <laughs> they just inexplicably dropped it. No explanation, no fucks given. You know, fuck you, pay me. You guys are going to watch our shit regardless. Um... You know, I think Cody Rhodes heel turn should involve Arn Anderson anyway, to some capacity. I really feel like, you know, Arn Anderson should be the guy that Cody turns on and de- and delivers the crossroads or or something. I don't know if Arn could <laughs> could take the crossroads or not. I know in my fantasy Booker episode, I <laughs> that's how I wrote it, um, and with Cody aligning with Malachi Black, which actually I would still like to see that. If I'm being honest, Malachi Black is talking about starting a House of Black stable. Why not? <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, nonetheless, Britt Baker defends the AEW women's title to Ty Connie. Um, and what do you want me to say? You know, the bout went just as expected. DMD Britt Baker nabbing the W and retaining her crown as the queen of AEW's women's division. But I will say, I will say Ty Conti had a very good showing. Just like in in, uh, Dynamite, you know, she had a very good showing. Even in defeat, I have to concede that Ty has been looking pretty good lately in the ring, I'll admit. And she definitely has the potential. I could totally see Ty Conti being the TBS champion right now. Right freaking now. You know, unfortunately, she's not in the... You know, in the TBS tournament. But I could totally see Ty Conti holding that TBS women's title right now. She's ready. And this match really showcased that she's ready to take it to the next level. This was something of a coming out party for her, even though she lost the match. And the story of this match, it was that Ty was out wrestling Britt Baker, outperforming her. However, she was unable to overcome the odds of Rebel and Jamie Hayter at ringside with their shenanigans, which ultimately led to Britt Baker rolling her up for the pinfall victory. You know, where was Anna J? I mean, they really have been putting over Tay J or Ty J whatever the hell lately, right? Anna J and Ty Conti, they're supposed to have this this kinder, kinship, right? There's like best friends um their girlfriends i mean where was she at to kind of sort of even the odds right i mean Britt baker is escorted out to the ring with with her goons jamie hater and rebel meanwhile ty conti comes out solo dolo she don't even have her girl anna j with her and she wasn't even booked on the card she had free time <laughs> she didn't have nowhere to be She could have came out. So that's a, you know, that's a little nitpick for me. I think that was kind of a flaw there. You know, they they really should have uh, thought about it more. I mean, even with Anna Jay out, I get it. You know, Ty Conti is the baby face. So they're going the old school route, right? With the baby face kind of, you know, facing insurmountable odds. But even if Anna Jay was out there on ringside, it would still be insurmountable odds because the numbers game is still in the favor of... Uh, Britt Baker you know Jamie Hader and Rebel I mean Jamie Hader by herself just look at the broad I mean, she could whoop some man's ass <laughs> she could probably beat up John Silver bro at <laughs> her big ass but uh it is what it is where does Britt Baker go from here that's what I want to know that's the ultimate question because who else is left in the women's division And you got all these other females locked in the TBS title tournament. So it's not like they can abandon their spots there to, you know what I mean? So where in the world does Britt Baker go from here? That's the question. Is she going to continue to have matches with Ty Connie? I don't think anybody wants to see that. You know, Ruby Soho and Chris Statlander have been laid to pastures by Britt already. We don't need to see that again. So, again, I mean, it's just very interesting to me, you know, where this goes from here. I, I have a feeling what happens next in the TBS title tournament is going to dictate uh, Britt Baker's uh, next opponent, meaning probably one of these ladies that are going to lose in the quarterfinals are going to end up assaulting Britt or something um, and creating creating something out of nothing, right? Um, I mean, I could see Hikaru Shida perhaps re, re, reforming her feud with Britt Baker if she does not advance. I mean, what other baby faces there? I, I mean, I already spoke about Chris Statlander. I don't. I personally don't want to see that again. Red Velvet. There could. I mean, you know, Red Velvet and Britt Baker have a little something, something going on. To me, Red Velvet being propelled once again to feud with Britt Baker over the title is something I wouldn't mind seeing just because I like Red Velvet a lot Um, that most likely won't happen that's just me (laughs) nonetheless let's move on Eddie Kingston CM Punk this was the most anticipated match of the night uh, for me personally and I know I was not alone in that line of thinking this was the co-main event you know, let's just let's just put it like that. This was the co-main event of the night. Eddie Kingston nailed CM Punk with a massive back fist before the bell even rang. Once the match got started, Kingston kept brawling, firing on all cylinders as to be expected. And one of the highlights of the entire night though, <laughs> what happened when CM Punk <laughs> executed John Cena's OG five moves of doom. And he teased the five-knuckle shuffle with a big old grin on his face as the blood leaked down into his eyes and into his mouth. What a visual, man. What a freaking visual and what a moment. And what a callback to his biggest rival in WWE. That whole spot was grade A perfection. I marked the hell out. I would have laughed my ass off even harder though if Punk actually nailed the five-knuckle shuffle on Eddie Kingston. <laughs> that would have been hilarious to see because it's just a visual you never thought you would see, right? CM Punk doing the five-knuckle shuffle on Eddie Kingston. What a, what a random, what a turn of events. Um, in the end, Eddie Kingston would go to sleep. Punk hits the GTS for the pinfall victory. Now, in the post-match, CM Punk would extend his hand for some camaraderie, for some sportsmanship, right? Mutual respect. Eddie Kingston, however, refused to shake Punk's hand as he walked away. It was very reminiscent of uh, (laughs) Deontay Wilder refusing... The sportsmanship offered by Tyson Fury at the end of his ass whooping there. (laughs) That's what I thought of, bro. (laughs) Nah, man. It looks like Punk and Kingston are not finished here. At least judging by that ending there, uh, I would imagine that Punk and Kingston still have a few more barn burners, more scraps up their sleeve. This was a scrap. You know, this was... This match right here, in spite of the fact that we had MMA fighters, actual combat sports fighters trained to really cause some serious damage to one's well-being on the card, yet this match right here resembled more of a fight than that or any other match on the card. This was a real barn burner, man. You know, you had these guys really throwing fisticuffs. And looking sloppy, taking the fight to the outside, on the inside. And it felt genuine and it felt real, just like the character of Eddie Kingston, man. Nothing artificial. Everything 100. You love to see it. The Inner Circle versus the Men of the Year in America's Top Team. This is another match that, in my opinion, did not need to be featured on the pay-per-view. This could have main-evented a stacked episode of Dynamite. It would have been perfectly fine. But alas, you know, Jericho, baby, he's going to get that payday. He's going to get that pay-per-view payday. And why shouldn't he? You know, Chris Jericho is arguably responsible for putting AEW on the map in the first place. And y'all can quote me on that, too. I mean it. I mean it. I stand by Le Champion, Jericho, my favorite wrestler of all time. Uh, And Jericho would pay tribute to Eddie Guerrero in a big way by actually using Eddie's finisher, the frog splash, for the pinfall victory over Tan Lambert. Um, And then Jericho got real emotional in the post-match, pointing up to the sky, gesturing, uh, and clearly, you can read from his lips, he uttered, this is for you, Eddie. I love you. And and he had actual tears in his eyes. You know, and, and you, I mean, the match went, went on for way too long. I, I mean, this match really overstayed its welcome, in my opinion. It was a very fun match. Don't get me wrong. I'm not completely shitting on it. It was a fun match for what it was. Um, They did their best with what they had, all participants, all parties involved, most especially, you know, Scorpio Sky, Ethan Page, Jericho, and and, uh, Proud and Powerful. They really put in work, man, to make this match uh, decent, if nothing else, but it went on for way too long. I mean, it, it was too much. But I can't hate on it. After seeing that Eddie Guerrero tribute, man, by Jericho, that was really fitting, really touching, man. You know, Jericho and Eddie go way back, and they were my favorite wrestlers. I mean, I watched them both in WCW and then in WWF, ultimately becoming WWE. So that was uh, a very good moment that made up for a match that kind of overstayed its welcome, in my humble opinion. Uh, before, actually, before I skip on to the next match or the next segment, rather, uh, Paige Van Zant, much to my surprise, did not have any interaction here. She was not present as far as I know. Um, I don't remember if the camera spotted her in the crowd or anything. I really expected Paige Van Zant to have some shenanigans, um, perhaps like low blow Jericho from behind or something, you know, uh, but it didn't happen. Uh, I'm surprised by that. Tony Schiavone hits the stage all of a sudden, and he announces that AEW's newest signing is a former champion from various companies all over the world, and he reveals it to be none other than Jay Lethal. Jay Lethal actually came out to his OG Black Machismo (laughs) TNA theme, I believe. It sounded like it. Um, Which is absolutely hilarious. It definitely put a smile on my face. Um, Yeah, Lethal. He would talk to Shavoni and basically set up a TNT title match with Sammy Guevara. To which Guevara, the Spanish god, would also then hit the stage and tell Jay Lethal, you're on. So there you have it. Now you have a freaking amazing matchup set up right there. Um, Jay Lethal versus Sammy Guevara. That's a freaking dream match, man. Um, You know, after the way AEW has built up Sammy Guevara over these last two years, Sammy had his very... Sammy Guevara has the distinction of having AEW's very first television match with Cody in the debut episode of Dynamite two years ago, which is outstanding. Um And I didn't know who Sammy Guevara was at that point. I didn't know who he was. I knew he was a pupil of Reality of Wrestling, Booker T... Uh, I knew he had affiliation with them. But beyond that, I didn't really know what he could do. But two years later, AEW has done a phenomenal job of building this guy up um, and establishing him. And so now, him and Jay Lethal, that's a freaking dream match. Christmas has come early Um, And you guys don't want to miss this match. I don't remember if they stated this match would be on Rampage or Dynamite. I don't remember. Sorry. Uh, But it's going to happen. And you best believe Christmas has come early. This is going to be a phenomenal match. So what's the match of the night? Well, none other than the main event. Easily. You know, Kenny Omega, the best wrestler in the entire world today. Defends the AEW Championship to Hangman Adam Page, Cowboy shit himself. After a series of Snapdragons v triggers, even a pop-up power bomb. There's some more fuel to the Kevin Owens, Kevin Steen all elite speculation there. That pop-up power bomb. You know, obviously there's rumors of Kevin Steen making a a grand reunion. With his pals, Adam Cole, the Bucks. Um, I would absolutely love to see Kevin Steen and AW, Kevin Owens, Kevin Steen. Um, we would get a ref bump. We would actually get a ref bump in this matchup as hangman. Adam Page went for the Buckshot Lariat. Kenny pulls the referee into the target. The ref is knocked out. Cold page would then hit the deadeye maneuver. Kenny Omega is flattened, but there's no ref to make the count until one <laughs> Aubrey Edwards. She comes sprinting down the ramp like OG Usain Bolt. You know, she over here. That, and that's how a referee should run to the ring during such circumstances. Not like in WWE when you see ref bumps and, like, the refs take their sweet-ass time. Like, you know, because they the guy will pin... The opponent and the crowd starts counting one, two, three, and they damn near make it a 10 before the freaking referee brings their slow ass out to the ring. This is how ref bumps should be done. You know what I mean? Aubrey Edwards, she was looking like Usain Bolt, bruh, (laughs) running down that ramp. Like she was, you know, in the Olympics, (laughs) in the sprint right here, um... She counts to a 2.5. Of course, Kenny Omega, with the resiliency, kicks out. Now, here's a point of major storytelling. The Young Bucks, bruised and battered, they limp their way to the ring. All the while, Adam Page nails Kenny Omega with his own finishing maneuver, the one-winged angel, and Kenny kicks out. So... (laughs) Just, on a, just so you know, nobody in All Elite Wrestling as of yet has ever kicked out of the one wing angel before. So, the irony that the first man in AEW to ever kick out of the one-winged angel would be the mastermind of the move himself. <laughs> Kenny Omega. Yeah, you can't write this stuff. You know, that's just great. That is great. I That's the plot twist of the century. I never saw it coming. Nonetheless... Adam Page goes onto the apron, setting up for the Buckshot Lariat. But before he makes his move, he makes eye contact with the Bucks. As if to reiterate what he said on Dynamite. You better not. Or Rampage, rather. He said, you better not. You better not touch me. I will ruin you. Um, And the Bucks look at Adam Page. They look at Kenny Omega. And they look back and nod. They nod, they give Adam Page a nod of approval seemingly as Adam Page then delivers a wicked buckshot lariat for the pinfall victory. We have a brand new AEW world champion. Now in the post-match, the Dark Order would come out to celebrate. They lifted Adam Page on their shoulders, the whole nine. It was a a very nice send-off to such a spectacular uh, series of matches on this pay-per-view. The one thing I want to talk about, though, before I close out this review here, is what in the world was that Young Bucks interaction? Is that indicating that the Bucks are going to turn on Kenny Omega? Is that indicating that they're going babyface? Is I mean, what is going on here? You know what I mean? There's, something, there's some stories to tell with that. It's going to be interesting, guys. These next coming weeks, Dynamite and Rampage both are going to be must-see must, sh- must see TV. Um, if there ever was a time that these shows were must-see TV, it's most definitely now. Because that's very interesting there uh, with the Bucks, with Hangman Adam Page, Kenny Omega. You have all the pieces to the puzzle of some stories and characters that have been brewing together for such a long time. Um... What an amazing, what an amazing show. AEW, they hit another home run. Another stellar pay-per-view card. Not perfect. Not perfect at all, I'll be honest with you. But very, very close to it. Like I said, there was a few matches I could have done without. Um, I I do think All Out was the better pay-per-view show overall, to be quite honest. But, um, you know, when you have an ending like that, that you had at All Out... It was never going to be topped, ever. Um, You know, that ending right there in itself probably will never be topped. I know that might sound like hyperbole. I know I I probably sound like I'm exaggerating, but really, can you, Lalo underscore THR, on the gram and the Twitter, you tell me, what in the world could close out a pay-per-view that would be more epic than the dual debuts of Adam Cole and Brian Danielson? There's nothing, brother. There's nothing unless hell freezes over and the Rock himself or John Cena were to were to close a pay-per-view one day. Maybe, maybe that could top that. That's a that's a scene right there that will never be topped in AEW, guys. I don't think so. Not anytime soon. I can I can promise you that. But for what it was, Full Gear was a master class in professional wrestling matches, storytelling, character development, and of course, making me fiend for more all elite wrestling. Very, very good show. Alright guys, so before I sign off here, I have the AEW official lineup for this coming Wednesday, November 17th. Uh, the Butcher and the Blade will take on Orange Cassidy and Tomohiro Ishii. Uh, Tomohiro Ishii, obviously coming from NJPW, crossing through that forbidden door, Daddy. Um, Tony Schiavone announced that The Butcher and the Blade will battle Orange Cassidy and a partner of his choosing um, <clears throat> on the November 17th AEW Dynamite. And Tomohiro Ishii was announced as Cassidy's partner during AEW Full Gear. I don't remember that, but awesome. Uh, The TNT Championship pops off. Jay Lethal uh, going up against Sammy Guevara as part of an open challenge. Part of Lethal's debut on the full gear card. Announcing um, that he wants a match for that TNT strap. and This is clearly going to be the main event. Um, I don't know what order these matches are supposed to be in. I just copied and pasted this right here. But uh, th- that match has to be the main event, I would imagine. Jay Lethal, Sammy Guevara for the TNT strap. Brian Danielson <clears throat> will take on Evil Uno in a random matchup. Uh, a stay busy bout for the number one contender, I suppose. The TBS title tournament quarterfinals pop off with Nilo Rose taking on Hikaru Shida. And Leo Rush and Dante Martin will meet the acclaimed. I am super excited for that. That's going to be awesome. Um, I don't, you know what? I didn't mention it, but there was, uh, before the buy in even started, uh, before the pay per view even started, there was some interaction with the acclaimed actually trying to recruit Dante Martin. I completely forgot about this. I'm so glad that I uh, went ahead and pasted this uh, dynamite lineup here to make sense of things um and I said it I said it that I would love a storyline where all these different teams are trying to recruit Dante Martin to really put him over big as like the hottest prospect right now the hottest thing in in uh, AEW and and possibly one of the hottest things in wrestling altogether I was talking to a buddy of mine earlier and I was saying how I'm like salivating at the idea of seeing Dante Martin and ricochet have a match my goodness that would be something to see uh ricochet i don't know what's going on with him in w uh wc uh wwe i don't know what the hell is on my mind um i'm gonna say wcw whoa I'm, I'm, i'm like stuck in the past over here um i don't know what ricochet has going on in wwe i haven't been watching obviously i i make that clear pretty much every freaking episode but whenever his contract is up i can't imagine that he has like multi-years left i mean i know he signed a big deal with wwe in like 2017 or something right so i can't imagine that he's gonna be with the company for like another five six seven more years i mean if so then wow that's that's crazy um, you know, for WWE to sign him to such a big contract. But nonetheless, if and when his contract is up, I would love to see Ricochet cross through that forbidden door, daddy. And have an insane matchup with Dante uh, Dante Martin. And, and I'm not saying I want AEW to sign Ricochet to a contract. I'd actually, if I'm being honest, I'd actually like to see Ricochet reprise his role as Prince Puma. And do some business down there in MLW. You know, MLW Azteca. Um, That's some really exciting things they got going on. I don't know if any of you guys have any interest in MLW. But back in the day, there used to be a show called Lucha Underground. Which if you're a wrestling fan, uh, I know you know what Lucha Underground is. Because it it used to be on Netflix for the longest time. I I think the, the three seasons that they had were on Netflix for the longest time. Um, and it was a amazing pro wrestling show, you know, it wasn't like an actual promotion. I believe it was more like, a. it was a television program that was in association with, uh, triple a, I believe I could be mistaken on that. That's just what I think. Cause obviously Lucha Underground was not a legit promotion. It was just a TV show, a TV program, uh, but they really put something very special together there, man. And right now, Court Bauer with MLW, they're kind of trying to resurrect Lucha Underground from the ashes. You know what I'm saying? They're trying to kind of recreate it and like a spinoff for MLW. They called it Azteca Underground. It does appear that now they're just calling it MLW Azteca. So whatever they want to call it, it doesn't matter to me. They could call it whatever the hell they want. They could call it uh, uh, Lucha Wars. That'd be a cool name. MLW Lucha Wars or something like that. I don't know. They could call it whatever they want. But to see like King Muertes and Katrina back in the game. To see Dario Cueto uh, now going by Cesar Duran... You know what I mean? Seeing these characters back, man, just makes me such a happy man. You know, Grand Metalik is a free agent. I-, I would suggest that they go after his services. He would fit right in with that whole deal. And incidentally, they have a show coming up, uh, co-promoted by The Crash. Uh, Lucha Libre promotion, which to my surprise, I found out today that it was owned. It's actually owned by Conan, or at least he has a big part in that. I don't know if he owns it or not, but that he's heavily associated with that uh, promotion. So <clears throat> their first show will go down in Tijuana. Um, I I don't have the date, guys, but you can look it up. MLW Azteca uh, Crash Lucha Libre. It'll pop right up. Nonetheless. I want to thank you very much for joining me on this edition of the Highlight Reel. I will be back for the Dynamite review because you best believe Lalo THR. I'm the Highlight Reel. I got to watch the fallout from full gear. Are you kidding me? I'm not going to miss that show for the world. So you know the deal. Wash your hands, wash your ass, tip your waitresses, and please tip your Lyft drivers because we definitely need it.